This morning we begin a new series called Speaking Truth to Power, the Prophetic Life. We're going to be looking for the next few weeks at the prophets all throughout Scripture. Uh, Those begin with the prophet Isaiah in terms of the books that are considered the prophetic books in the Old Testament. And we'll talk about the three major prophets. They're called major just because they're big, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then we'll continue on to what's called the book of the 12 uh, with those 12 minor prophets, some of whom were like, where is Obadiah and Nahum and Habakkuk and, and names like that as we continue through and we think about what it means to be a prophet both in the day of Israel but also in our day today. We begin this week in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two, they veiled their faces. With two, their feet, and with two, they flew about. They shouted to each other saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting and the house was filled with smoke. I said, mourn for me, I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that had come from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed and your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, whom should I send and who will go for us? I said, I'm here. Send me. God said, go and say to this people, listen intently, but don't understand. Look carefully, but don't comprehend. Make the minds of this people dull, make their ears deaf and their eyes blind. So they can't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds and turn and be healed. I said, how long, Lord? And God said, until cities lie ruined with no one living in them. Until there are houses with people and the land without people and the land is left devastated. The Lord will send the people far away and the land will be completely abandoned. Even if one-tenth remain there, they will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, which when it is cut down leaves a stump. Its stump is holy seed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we think about this term prophet and how we usually use it in our culture and world today to describe someone, we usually think that a prophet is something like a fortune teller. We use it in this way. We say, if someone predict something that's going to happen. We say, you must be a prophet, or we describe someone having the gift of prophecy, meaning someone who can see somehow into the future, almost like Nostradamus or something like that. A prophet is not, however, in Bible terms, a fortune teller. That's not how it works. A prophet is a truth teller who speaks on God's behalf 
to leaders, both political and religious, who have led people away from God's justice. Why don't you hear that definition again? A truth teller speaking on God's behalf, so they're a messenger for God, speaking to leaders who are both political and religious leaders, who have led people away and astray from God's justice. So what we see over and over again in the work of the prophets, in Isaiah, yes, but also in all of these other prophets, is kind of a three-part work. First, there's a work of accusation. They tell the people that they have strayed away from God's covenant with the people. They do this over and over in a variety of ways, sometimes straight up by just telling them, sometimes by taking really strange actions like we'll see with Ezekiel and some other prophets. So there's a work of accusation. The second one is a work of repentance. They're they're accused, and then they're saying, you have a chance to turn around and to change your life, to change the course of action, to re-engage with God. And so they, they first accuse and they give the offering the opportunity to work for repentance. And then the third thing that they talk about is something called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is maybe how sometimes we think about prophets. It's like this scary doom and gloom type of thing. But really what the prophets are trying to aim for is justice. And they're saying that when God's justice is had, when there is no more evil in the land and it is vanquished, then God's reign will be able to come. Then the Messiah will be able to come, as Isaiah prophesies in other places about Because mainly when we read Isaiah, it's usually at Advent time. We read about the predictions or the, the descriptions of the Messiah coming. But now we're looking at Isaiah in a different light as this prophet to the kings of his day and around. There's a twin message that the prophets have. It's one of warning and of hope. Isaiah balances this a ton throughout his time. There'll be sections where we feel like we're reading only words of warning. Today included a lot of warning. But then there's also sections about hope. There's also ultimately a hope that God's day will come and that and that good will reign and that God's covenant will be restored with the people. So Isaiah begins like all of the other prophets. He begins with these words of warning and even to this point We're reading in chapter 6 today. The first five chapters were accusations and warnings. Hear some of these words. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Wash, be clean, remove your ugly deeds from my sight, put an end to such evil, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. In chapter 5, verse 5, Now let me tell you what I'm doing to my vineyard. I'm removing its hedge so it will be destroyed. I'm breaking down its walls so it will be trampled. I'll turn it into a ruin. It won't be pruned or hoed, and thorns and thistles will grow up. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord of heavenly forces is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are the plantings in which God delighted. God expected justice, but there was bloodshed. Righteousness, but there was a cry of distress. So Isaiah comes bringing this word of warning to the people saying, if justice and righteousness are not done in the land, then judgment is coming for you. But somehow, Isaiah's words were falling on deaf ears in those first five chapters. And he needed reassurance. 
He needed to be able to say something like, I have seen this vision. God has given me this vision, called me to be a prophet. And so what we see, first of all, is this juxtaposition. We learned that it's in the year that King Uzziah died when Isaiah sees this vision. And what we get here is this vision of who is really in charge of the world. Is it the political royalty who is in place? Or is it the divine king? This divine king where the vision is so grand that God, the train of God's robe is actually filling the entire temple in Isaiah's vision. Oftentimes, the temple was called God's footstool in how they imagined how the world worked. So who is the true king? Isaiah's image seems to ask. Is it, is it the royalty where King Uzziah has just died and oftentimes there was an in-between time between leaders where things were in tumult? Or is it the God of Israel? And Isaiah's first action, reaction upon seeing this scene, upon hearing the rushing wind and the power throughout and seeing these six-winged creatures flying around, his reaction, right, is I'm not holy enough to be in God's presence. He says, mourn for me, I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips, yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heavenly forces. Isaiah right here has humility in the presence of God. We too can have humility in the presence of God when we recognize God's holiness, God's set-apartness, God's otherness, and our unworthiness. Sort of like when we hear that story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is coming back and he's preparing what he's going to say to his father. And, and he says, I'm going to tell him I'm not even good enough to be one of your servants, one of your hired hands, right? That's how... That's how we feel. That's how Isaiah feels when he is in the presence of God. I am not worthy. But what happens to Isaiah right after he says that? This winged creature, right, comes with a burning hot coal. It is red, white hot from the altar. Comes with it in tongs. And he touches Isaiah's lips with that coal. And immediately, boom, Right there, it says sin and guilt are gone from Isaiah. Isaiah has atonement made for him for this prophetic task he's going to have to do, this job that he's going to have to do. And I think it suggests to us that atonement at that time is available for all of Israel if they would recognize and confess their sin. So Isaiah, right, is going to come and bring this message that sounds like doom and gloom to us, but there's always the side of, and if Israel repents, they can receive too this forgiveness of guilt, forgiveness of sin. And this is part of Isaiah's prophetic duty. It's to convince people of their sinfulness. It's to convince Israel, right, that they have turned away from their partnership with God in the covenant, that they have completely spurned that. And that what God is welcoming them into is to recognize that and to turn around and turn back towards God. In other words, forgiveness is always available with God, but the guilt must be removed. And then comes the turning point in the story for Isaiah. For he hears God say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The prophet here is seen as a messenger from God 
Whom shall I send, God says? Who will go for us? Who will remind the people of their partnership with God? And without missing a beat, Isaiah says these words that I think we're pretty familiar with. He says, here am I, send me. This is Isaiah's first action in response to this question. It's almost like he doesn't even look around for anyone else. He doesn't think about if anyone else would respond this way. It's like his first reaction is just say, God, I'm here, send me. He's like the school kid who sits in the front row who's always prepared to answer the question Isaiah is in this case. He is ready for this prophetic vocation. He doesn't even know the message that God is going to give to him to deliver. He doesn't ask God for a job description of what his prophetic calling will be. He just says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I'm here, God. Send me. Send me. Like someone who eagerly volunteers for the military without knowing their assignment, without knowing where they will be sent or how they will serve. And then Isaiah receives his assignment, and it's a doozy, right? It sounds like Isaiah's success will be the people's failure to turn towards God. God said, go and say to this people, listen intently, but don't understand. Look carefully, but don't comprehend. Make the minds of this people dull, make their ears deaf, make their eyes blind. So they can't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds and turn and be healed. That sounds like a pretty bleak word that Isaiah is supposed to deliver to the people. But what if, what if it was interpreted to sound like this? What if Isaiah is supposed to go to the people of Israel and say, I saw the Lord and he told me to tell you to keep listening, but don't understand. To keep looking, but not see. To keep thinking about what God's plan might be, but to not understand it. In other words, what if this is a 2,800-year-old display of reverse psychology, right? One of the earliest ones where Isaiah the prophet is coming to the people because really, really what we know of through Isaiah and what we know of through the prophets is that there's always an opportunity to repent and respond. God always provides that opportunity for people to come back into relationship with him. And Isaiah's reaction to this news, to this message that he is supposed to deliver is simply this, how long When Isaiah asks how long, he's not asking for a timetable. He's not saying like, so God, is this like a one-year assignment? How long are we delivering this one before we come with a better one? No, Isaiah's response echoes that of the psalmists all throughout time who say, how long, O Lord? How long? It's a lament. How long? God answers, well, the fire that you just had, it must purify Israel too. And he goes on to describe how the fire is actually going to come and it's going to remove all of Israel and take them actually away to exile. That's the image that Isaiah finishes seeing in this. But, but there is hope. There is hope finally in a stump. Even if one-tenth remain there, they will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, which when it is cut down, leaves a stump. Its stump is a holy seed. If you're here in the sanctuary, we have this piece of art by Scott Erickson, third, the, the second to the left right there. And it's called Another Chance. You can look it up if you're 
worshiping with us online. It's by Scott Erickson called Another Chance. It has four stumps on it, showing times where it's been cut off again and cut off again. And yet there's hope with a tree springing forth. A tree springing forth. Finally, there's a tree from that stump. We hear in Isaiah all throughout, we, we in fact use this imagery of the stump of the root of Jesse as description about Jesus coming when we have Advent come. So friends, Isaiah has to deliver a difficult message. All prophets have to deliver the warning. But Isaiah ultimately is a prophet of hope. The God we serve is a God of second chances. It's why he sent the prophets in the first place. God sends the prophets because God believes in second and third and fourth chances. Otherwise, he wouldn't have tried to call Israel continually back into relationship with God's very self. For his reminder through the prophets is that no one is beyond redemption. And for that, we say thanks be to God. Amen.